I'm sitting here with this book, The Joyful Athlete, and it's chock full of post-it notes of well, things I, I would, like good books. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. full of things I want to ask about, and I've I've scribbled all in it, little notes and smiley faces in the margin, and all this kind of stuff. And there's, I feel like there's just so much here to talk about that is so great. Um, but you know, I really just want to kind of start with, I mean, you and I have chatted back and forth over the years. But I wanted to get a clearer sense of you, and, and you mentioned some of your background in the book, and I was I was gratified to see that you opened it up with a little anecdote about being on the North Shore of Kauai, which is one of my favorite places in the whole world. I, I know where Tunnels Beach is, uh, I know exactly <laughs> what you meant by it, but in that section too, you kind of mention a little bit about your own history. You talk about starting, you know, when you started in the 70s, um, and how things have changed. So I, I kind of just wanted to start there, like... Tell me about how you got started in this. You mentioned working for Runner's World in the 70s. So, sure. Uh, yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Okay. Um, I'm kind of hesitant to talk about, you know, as in the book, I, um, in the most recent version of the book, I put a little one-paragraph disclaimer at the start that said, you know, um, in, in this book, on rare occasions, I'll refer to my spiritual teacher and so forth. I said, I, I don't want to uh, say who the spiritual teacher is, and um, that's because I believe that the principles that I'm talking about in this book are universal. And um, so uh, the reason I mention this is that I started my history with exercise back in, you're making me younger than I am, I actually started in the 60s. So um, I'm 73 now, but I started when I was 26. And uh, I came out of Stanford University with a master's degree, and I found myself in feeling kind of depressed and uh, in search of meaning and not satisfied that my education, my uh, intellectual education, had given me what I was really looking for. Uh, it gave me. I felt that it gave me only part of the puzzle, and I was deeply stumped about um, how to find happiness, basically. And so I came onto a spiritual path, and that's another story in itself. But at one point, a senior monk um, suggested to me that I might not be getting enough exercise. And so I, um, I kind of inwardly asked about what I should be doing because back in those days, you never saw anybody cycling or jogging or, I mean, there were gyms around, but that was kind of its own separate culture. And it was mostly for, it seemed like to me at least, for bodybuilders. So um, I didn't know what to do. And, but uh, the day after I kind of offered it up, I went to work the next day and my supervisor, who was a retired Air Force colonel, uh, came bustling up to me with this book in his hands, and he says, George, you've got to read this book. He says, it's, uh, I've been on this program for six months, and it's done wonders for me. And it was Kenneth Cooper's aerobics book. So um, I started, I started, I took up the program, and uh, that was my first, in, in all my life, that was my first adventure with fitness, my first real experience of fitness. And I was quite amazed by, I thought, you know, when this guy recommended exercise to me, I thought that he was telling me something that would make me healthy and might make me feel a little better and so forth. But I was quite astounded by how it opened up a whole entire world 
to me, a whole facet of my inner being that I didn't even know existed. And for me, it was deeply connected with experiences of happiness, uh, happiness on several levels, um, happiness of just being so incredibly physically competent after just a few months of exercise that it felt like I was a different person, a larger person, a person who was more capable and more confident and could do more and could imagine more and had you know, just a whole world of possibilities, just improving the foundation of my whole being, which is the body, had given me more energy, which was in turn feeding this energy into all facets of my being, you know, body, heart, will, mind, soul, the whole thing. So um, I I was having this experience of exercise and fitness, and um, I realized that there were two sides of it. You know, it was the, there was the health maintenance kind of side and the performance side. Um, but there was also a side of happiness. And from the start, because of where I came from, uh, from being in a state of kind of depression and meaninglessness, the happiness side was really, really interesting to me. And so I kind of... Uh, being young and idealistic, I kind of I, I would have these experiences once in a while where exercise was really ecstatic, you know, where I'd run for mile after mile on the beach and I'd just feel this tremendous glow of inner peace and joy and happiness and so forth. But it didn't happen all the time. And at the start, I kind of felt that, um, you know, that was what I was really looking for in exercise was these extraordinary experiences. But... Um, what happened because of my unrealistic expectation really was that, um, well, first of all, I, I tried to make those, hap- those experiences happen all the time. I looked for, I was looking desperately for a way to have peak experience every time I exercised. And over the years, I discovered that that was not a realistic expectation because there were going to be days when exercise was very ordinary or days when my ex- my enthusiasm for exercise was uh, you know, not all that great. And um, so I, I realized in the end that um, a much more realistic expectation was to find out how to make exercise every time joyful, or at least happy, even if it wasn't a peak experience. You know, if I'm just going to the gym today, it's an ordinary day, I've had a, you know, I've kind of gotten up from the computer and I'm looking to clear my head, so I bicycle over to Stanford and I go into the gym there, and how to make that a a fairly decent, happy experience, so they come out feeling better at the end than when I started. And uh, so that's kind of where I, where it led to was... um, you know, I started, I, I, over the years, I, um, where the book came from was that um, I kind of took notes all along the way of all these little things that I discovered and eventually became the book, which has some science in it, has some personal experiences in it, and has some experiences of elite athletes and very ordinary people. So um, that's basically where I come from. And... I guess that's um, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I'm I'm really struck by lots of things in what you said. One of the ones that jumps out for me is this idea of the experience of happiness 
within the activity itself. Because I think sometimes folks seek happiness as an outcome of the activity. So for example, if I go to the gym, then I will get into shape and then I will be happy, right? So happiness is this kind of horizon point that we chase and exercise is the way to get there, but we're not actually happy while we're exercising. (laughs) So I think one of the key insights that you really offer here is this idea of being happy, like that exercise is the happiness in a sense. Um, And one of the things you say, which I think is so profound is um, in sports nowadays, joy can be hard to find. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that a little bit, because that just jumped right out at me. You know, it's, it's funny because I've um, increasingly done a turnaround on that Uh because it, it seems like, it's kind of like when you think when you learn a new word, you know, serendipity or so, then you you see that word everywhere, you hear it everywhere, and so forth. So I've been thinking about positive sports experiences. So um, what's happened is that I think it's because I've kind of got that in my consciousness. I sort of find that stuff everywhere now. <laughs> you know, like. Um, just this morning, I was reading about the San Francisco Warriors on the uh, SFGate website and just some incredibly wonderful things about what Steve Kerr has done with the team, you know, to by uh, practicing expansive attitudes and taking care of each athlete and making sure that the, the guys enjoy what they're doing and have fun and have connections and so forth. And it's very much, wherever I find this, there's one factor that I, I find that is... Uh, sort of common, which is that people are really enjoying the moment or uh, they're actually the more, the coaches who are more, most conscious about this are looking for and finding ways to give their athletes joy in the moment, basically to make it fun for them. And, um, you know, if to go even deeper in that, one thing that I find in my own practice, whatever I'm doing, and also, um, um, in the articles that I read and what I learned from elite athletes and coaches is that there's a deep focus. You know, their their head is in the moment on what they're doing and they're not thinking about the results. They're uh, finding a way to, if you're from doing a deadlift, I'm really into it, you know, because I know that it's going to go better. My form's going to be better. I'm going to be, feel better. I'm going to have more fun, basically. And I've had deadlifts that were just a complete joy, you know, where I felt that my headspace was was right there. I was uh, kind of, I was kind of putting myself in a deadlift attitude. You know, I was this kind of person who was kind of energized. I did a few uh, tensing and relaxing at the start, you know, and I got my energy in the right space, and I got my heart in the right space where I was enthusiastic about it. And I said, we're going to pick up this bar, and we're going we're to make it sing, you know. And um, when I did it that way, my, um, I wasn't thinking about the result I'm going to get out of it, you know, my back's going to be strong or my legs are going to, be buff or whatever. I'm going to be able to go harder on the bike or I'm going to have more energy for my life. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, as a result of putting all my focus in the moment and really enjoying it, the the results are always better. You know, so it's kind of a paradox. You don't get results by thinking about results. You get results by, by immersing yourself in the moment. 
And there's some very, very interesting research that I only discovered about six months ago that supports this. It's, I don't know if you've heard of the book, uh, The Happiness Advantage. Mm -hmm, yes. Have you read it? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, one thing I love about it is this idea of finding these small joys. And that's yeah. stringing together these small joys of daily life. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I mean, the, his whole point, his whole point, I mean, just for your listeners, uh, Sean Aker was a, he taught at Harvard for 12 years, and he began to notice, he was, they made him a proctor, which meant that he spent endless hours uh, mentoring freshmen at Harvard, and um, having endless cappuccinos at Starbucks with them and having conversations, and what he discovered, what he began to realize, and he was a a grad student actually in divinity, but his he was his academic field was psychology. But um, he began to realize that the students who were most successful in their classwork were the people who were not grinders. They were not grinding it out for a for for the result to get the grade. There were the people who were enjoying their studies, who were happy in the moment, who formed uh, study groups with other students and had a good time with their studies, um, you know, gathered resources around them. They were basically the happiest people. And so it applies completely to exercise. Um, I find that I get the best results, and I find from my reading that elite athletes, you know, who are most successful also get their results by being happy in the in the moment it's particularly striking in the in the uh, you know in distance running for example the way the kenyans train if you talk to the kenyans this is what they actually say is that um, they say that americans are too focused on results they say that they're focused on technology and strict strict training schedules and they say that the difference is that we we train with joy and we're focused in the moment, and we pay attention to what our, to what our body is telling us. And they literally practice this. You know, they if their body feels like it's not ready to train on the day, they'll jog a block until they realize, you know, this is not the day for it, and they'll go home. Whereas an American will very likely uh, decide that he has to make the numbers and keep to his schedule, and he'll gut through the workout. And the result is that the next time they train, the Kenyan is well-rested and able to train extremely hard, and the American is kind of saggy, and he's only able to train half-hard, so he's not getting the results. And uh, I don't know. I For me, it's just exercise is still about 90% happiness and about 10%, uh, you know, the physical results and so forth, because uh, focusing on the happiness just kind of automatically gets me the results I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you capture this kind of North American mentality so beautifully. At one point in your book, I'll just read this little passage. You say, I've known runners who seemed constitutionally incapable of taking the sport lightly. They were serious about it all the time. For them, it was hideously important to wear the right clothing, create the right schedules, and track the behavior of their hearts on a computer. Every moment of each workout had to be serious. When they weren't grimly doing quarter-mile repeats, they were grimly talking about their stock options. They were runners who wanted desperately to get ahead and for whom morality and sport were thickly intertwined. I mean, you just you have totally captured the uh, 
peculiar <laughs> North American type A approach to exercise. And you, you use this word uh, virtuocracy, right? The idea of combining morality and punishment and virtue and goodness uh, into this kind of very punitive discipline-based view of exercise. So, uh-huh. you know, and I think folks who do it might argue that they do it because they're results-oriented. But what you're essentially presenting is an alternative argument that says if you are concerned with results, you will get better results anyway from having a better process. I mean, is that kind of fair to say? Oh, yeah. If you find out a way to be happy with your exercise, even if it means changing your exercise, you're going to get a lot better results and you're going to enjoy it more. And it's just going to be a, a happier part of your day. It's going to do more for your life. I had a really good uh, example of this recently in my own life, which is that um, over the winter, I had a lot of bronchitis and I also got a some kind of strange hip problem. And uh, I'd been a runner since 1960, what, 68. And all of a sudden, I couldn't run. I could barely walk a, a you know, a block. But um, about, you know, 10 years ago, I picked up a bicycle at a yard sale for $30. And for 10 years, it just sat there. So I thought, what am I going to do, you know? And I thought of the bike, and at the same time, my car broke down. So I decided, you know, I'm going to get on the bike and see what it feels like. And um, it was such a release to be able to exercise, and I found that I enjoyed it tremendously. And as a result of that enjoyment, I was able to not only um, preserve my fitness, but do a lot more. It was just, uh, it was basically finding happiness and by changing my exercise, what my, in this case, because I had to. But the idea is that if you can get into, uh, if you're, if you're slogging it out at the gym and you're doing certain kind of exercises, you're on the Stairmaster or whatever, the elliptical, or you're doing treadmill or you're doing uh, a certain weight, you know, you're doing the machines or something and um, you're finding that it's losing joy, um, I think it would be a really, really good idea if you kind of switched up your routine and found something that, that gave you a little more energy and and fun, you know, if it meant trying the weights or, you know, as you say, they won't bite you. <laughs> but, um, you know, just finding some way to make your exercise fun and just putting all your focus on that for a while and see where it takes you. You know, it's basically an exercise, we're all, and, and, and it's basically an experiment, an ongoing experiment. We're all different. We all, our nature is a little bit more shaded toward heart or the mind or willpower or spirituality or kind of physical, earthy kind of awareness. You see all kinds of people at the gym and they have to find their own, you know, their own approach, their own reason, their own, kind of have to build their own exercise environment really that sustains them, you know, whether it's being a solo person or very inward or being totally gregarious or somewhere in between or, or finding a teacher like, like uh, my partner Mary Ellen. She she uh, she does. She's doing jazzercise right now. She's been an exercise instructor in the past, but she's doing jazzercise right now. And uh, there's kind of a cycle. The teachers have I don't know how many five or six teachers or so, and some of them really really energize her, <laughs> you know. And others are kind of uh, they're just not on her wavelength. It's kind of. It's geared, she's in her late 50s, and it's geared more toward the 
you know, the early 20s with a lot of shouting and yelling and so forth, and it's not her deal. So she doesn't get quite as much enjoyment out of that, and she feels that she doesn't get as, as much result. So that's kind of, uh, those are my thoughts on on that. So, yeah. Yeah, and just to build on that, I mean, okay, so your, your book, like almost in the title on the front cover, there's this idea of expansion and expansiveness and mm-hmm. you use that idea a lot through the whole book, this idea of, I mean, you even mentioned it in this conversation, you know, becoming a larger person in a way or expanding. And so maybe now, could you describe what you mean by this? Like, what does it mean to be expansive or to expand or, you know, to kind of just work with that concept a little bit? Like, what are you describing with that? Sure. Okay, this kind of goes into the deep spiritual background of exercise for at least uh, as I as I imagine it, which is um, um, I I kind of have to reveal a little bit about my uh, uh, spiritual background, which is that um, I've uh, been involved with yoga since the start, and in the ancient teachings in the ancient scriptures, um, basically it's um, they talk about how the ancient sages wanted to find out what people want in life. And by looking around them, they realized that, you know, with calm, objective eyes of what people were doing and all the varied activities that people engage in and what they get out of it, they realized that people, what people are looking for is to have more happiness and to have freedom from suffering. And um, the spiritual teachers of all religions will tell you that even the murderer, a person who murders people, is doing so in order because he expects, however falsely and deludedly, that he's going to get a little more happiness by killing someone who he feels is an obstacle to his happiness. And in fact, he may feel a little bit, a bit of. Uh, release and happiness after he commits the act. And this is something that, you know, interviews with murderers, they they find that they, people do feel. But, I mean, that's an extreme example. But um, the point is that behind the multiplicity of our stated motives, we're all looking for happiness. You know, I've talked to runners who say that I'm not in it for happiness at all. That's baloney. You know, I'm in it for Results. I'm running to run a sub three marathon or whatever. But um, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah. But how are you going to feel when you when you accomplish when you reach your goal? You know, what do you look? What's the experience you're looking for? You're looking for the satisfaction and the happiness and being able to to say, you know, I I accomplished my goal. I run a sub three. I'm feeling really great about it. You know. So okay. If you accept the fact that people are looking for happiness and to avoid suffering, um, then what's the method? You know, what tools do we have that are built into our nature in order to find happiness? And the teachings of all, the deep teachings of all past, tell us that we have five instruments. We have the body, we have feelings, the heart, emotions, and we have willpower, and we have mind, and we have soul. And the three of, in the middle, the three tools in the middle, you know, the uh, heart, willpower, and the mind are the ones that we can actually get a hold of and do something with. And those are the instruments basically of really of expansion. 
And um, the body is important. You know, fitness is really important because uh, a fit body, as I experienced in my own uh, fitness origins, it uh, once you get a certain level of fitness, you find that your body is feeding energy into all five aspects of your your being. So it's feeding out. It, you find that your uh, your body is not only more capable. But your emotions are more energized and positive and upbeat because you got more energy flowing through your whole system. It happens naturally. And you have more willpower because you have the confidence that if you are carrying two bags of groceries and you got three flights of stairs come up, you know, it's not a question of, oh my God, how are we going to get up there? It's, it's a question of, are we going to walk or are we going to run? You know, it's just a kind of enthusiasm about, um, about, using your willpower because you've got the, you've got the energy to support it. And, uh, in your mental work and so forth, you find that your mind is more alert. It's more cheerful. It's more focused as a result of this energy that's pouring through your body. So what you become essentially is a, a kind of a bigger human being. Your, your, you, uh, your possibilities have expanded of the things you can do. You, uh, because you are able to do more things, you begin to imagine more things that you could do. And uh, so your kind of world has sort of expanded. You've just gotten more. You know, more is a good way to think about expansion. But it's basically the ancient uh, teachers tell us that it's, it's, uh, happiness equals expansion, expanding awareness. So, I mean, this is something that's not a philosophical abstract thing. It's, it's something that we can test every single day. You know, when I behave expansively, when, when I go to the bank, for example, and the teller's looking kind of gloomy and crappy, am I going to assume that this person's going to be a crab and it's going to give me attitude and therefore I'm going to be ready for him and I'm going to, not going to take any crap from him? Or am I seeing them as a person who... Um, who is, might be feeling sad, might have experienced something bad in their life. And maybe if I can give them a smile or just kind of treat them decently or, or respect them and give them a little, uh, you know, make them feel that another person is on their side. You know, if I compare those two experiences or two, two approaches, what's going to give me more happiness? And you find that the one that's expansive where you're expanding your awareness to the other person to support them is always going to give you more happiness than if you're defensive and you're reactive and you're assuming the worst about this person and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying that in every situation we need to go up to people who are crabby and, you know, kind of lay our hearts out to them. Sometimes it's enough to stand back in yourself and be strong and just uh, respect them from a distance. But the, the idea of expansion is just you know, it's very, it's so simple, but once you start thinking about it, you realize that it penetrates into every aspect of your life, your relationships, work, <laughs> exercise, everything. And exercise is extremely important because it provides a motor that, that supplies a lot of energy that can help you be happier and more expansive and through all five instruments, you know, so I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but... <laughs> That's what occurs to me to say. That's a pretty great response. And actually, let me just build on that. Uh, so you mentioned all these multiple pieces of yourself as well as pieces of your life, right? Like your relationships and your work and so forth. And in the book, you talk about the harmony zone. And mm -hmm. so the harmony zone can be kind of a, a meta concept if you want, right? It can be all the pieces of yeah. your life 
Um, but, you know, for the, the science-y kinds of folks in the crowd who might be saying, well, this is all very nice and very spiritual and whatever, but what about the physiology of the body? And I think you blend this really nicely, right? Like, so you, so the harmony zone can be a large level concept or it can be a much more pragmatic concept of mm -hmm. what is happening when all of the physiological systems are kind of working together in a coherent and integrated way. So perhaps we could just sort of develop this into talking about like, what is the harmony zone as you have described it, especially as it applies to exercise and running? Mm -hmm. Well, I was able to um, experience the harmony zone and kind of start thinking about it. The science came later to me, but um, because I was doing long aerobic exercise, I, I think it was a little bit easier for me to find the harmony zone or start thinking about it than it would have been if I had started out at the gym. Because the gym, I'm moving from machine to machine, and it's my exercise, you know, I may be doing 10-second uh, sets or something, whereas if I'm out there for several hours on the road, then I can, it's kind of a little bit more meditative or on the bike that uh, I can kind of examine my feelings a little bit more consistently and for a longer time. So anyhow, that's where I discovered it, which is that I discovered that, um, you know, I've, I, I, all the, every coach you'll ever talk to, whether they're a gym instructor or whether they're a running coach or, you know, a cycling coach or any kind of coach, football, basketball, soccer, doesn't matter. They're going to tell you to listen to your body and your training, you know, and, uh, and the big question, because your body's going to tell you when it's fatigued and it doesn't, and when exercise isn't going to do you any good, or it's going to tell you when it's okay to really blast off and have a really strong session, and really pull out all the stops which is a very joyful experience. And, um, but how do you listen to your body? You know, what's it, what are the signals that it's giving you? And I discovered pragmatically, you know, just out on the road that um, I discovered it basically because I did a lot of things where my training was going very badly and I was feeling wiped out. I was toast a lot of the time. I knew I was doing something wrong. And um, so I tried to fix the problem, you know, by talking to people, by consulting books and so forth. But I kind of thought there must be a way that I can know every second of my exercise you know, what I should be doing. You know, my own body should be telling me things about what it wants to do, what's capable of doing, what I can do and that will give me happiness and kind of a, a good feeling and a strong feeling, uh, make me stronger. But it should also tell me, you know, when it's time to just really pack it in because my body is not ready. Now, what are those, what is the mechanism by which the body was going to talk to me and tell me what to do? And, um, you know, it's easy to think about if you think of what happens when we get sick, for example, how do we know that we're sick? Okay, we feel bad you know we feel down low crappy all the met metaphors are downward pointing and our energy is low uh you know it's flat we're toast we're down we're we're uh it was smashed you know and um so i i discovered that uh, in fact during the warm-up of to a run or bike ride or a gym session or on the way to the gym if I listen really deeply to my inner feelings, 
they would tell me what my body was ready to do. And it was absolutely unfailing, you know, that this was so. And the science came later by, um, I stumbled across the website of the HeartMath Institute in Boulder Creek, California. That's heartmath.com or heartmath.org. They have two sites. One is more consumer-oriented, one's more toward the science, which is the org. And um, these people are basically studying what happens in the body when um, under the influence of various kinds of emotions, feelings. And what they have discovered is that... um, when our feelings are upbeat, harmonious, um, like when we're having positive feelings, like we're feeling kindness or compassion or uh, inner peace or just joy or uh, expansive feelings, like we're thinking of a relative who uh, we really appreciate, we have images of them and our thoughts are going out to them in a, in a a loving and kind and supportive way. We're thinking of our child and we want the best for them and we're really praying that they, you know, be protected and happy and have a, and get wisdom in their life and just kind of being on their side. What happens, the heart math people, you know, are doing these experiments and they're, these people are lab rats. Believe me, they're real, they're a hard scientist. And what they discovered is that when we have positive feelings or we have really dark feelings like hatred or even just depression or uh, hopelessness or despair, um, the heart behaves in a, the physical heart behaves in a very, very different manner. Um, there's a measure of heart, um, heartbeat regularity. It's called uh, heart rate variability. It's kind of complex, but it's basically how many times the heart changes speed in a given interval per second, for example. Heart is continually changing speed. You you may say that your heart rate is 60 beats per minute, but in fact, it's speeding a little bit faster, a little bit slower all the time. And these changes... um, in turn, have their own pattern. You know, it's changing. Is it changing speeds harmoniously? It's going faster and then slower, kind of in a nice, loose curve, faster and then slower. Or is it going, is it shooting up and then bouncing down? It's going faster, slower, just really jangly. And what happens is that the heart, when it's feeling love or compassion or these positive, expansive kindness, emotions, it's beating very harmoniously is what the heart math people have found. It's being in a nice, smooth sine wave curve. And uh, when when your emotions are negative, your heart is being very erratically. And it's, it's starting, it's changing speeds that are very in a very erratic way, in a way it's kind of like a car that's running out of gas. I say that in the book, you know, it's kind of lurching forward and then uh, pulling back and it's um, so the the heart gets very kind of disordered in the presence of those emotions negative emotions and it has severe uh, extremely important consequences for the body how well the body can perform because the heart is connected through the nervous system and the chemical systems it's connected through the nervous systems directly to the brain it has a tremendous influence uh, what kind of how we're feeling has a tremendous influence on our brains, whether our brains can work uh, efficiently and you know where our thinking is clear, and it has also effects on the body. 
how well the body can perform. And if you've ever exercised, if you, I think that I always think that if anybody has ever exercised for six months, they know the difference. You know, when they're when they're having a really good day, their feelings are calm, their feelings are harmonious, and their body performs just like blazes. You know, like a champion. We all have those days. It's something very much to look forward to. But um, the science comes from um, not only heart math, but also people have studied things like social connections and the effect they have on health. For example, um, uh, Dean Ornish's book, um, uh, what's it called? Survival, something about survival. Um, I can't remember the title. But he studied... Um, Many, many, many epidemiological studies of populations where people have close social connections, and like in China, for in traditional society in China, for example, where people have uh, close connections, or in this country, a century ago, where people were closer to each other, versus people who feel isolated and um, alone, and their hearts are not basically nourished as much by close social positive social connections. And they found out that people who, um, you know, don't have those connections and whose um, lives are more isolated and disharmonious and stressed have tremendously higher rates of disease, heart disease and, and lung disease, cancer and so forth. So it's all connected. And basically the harmony zone, to bring it back to where it works with exercise, is that um, it's just basically saying... It's, it was a name that came out of my experience of running, but it's basically kind of a way of thinking that when my heart is harmonious, um, I'm going to be able to um, hear my body's signals much more clearly, and I'm going to be able to exercise better. So um, it's basically my purpose in thinking about the harmony zone is a point I make in the book is it's really good to kind of warm up in the harmony zone because um, you're looking for the harmony zone, basically. For example, if I start out on the bike or, or if I start out running or if, I start on, if I'm on the way to the gym or I start my gym workout with a warm-up on cardio or whatever, um, I'm kind of looking for the zone that my heart, my body, and my heart, my whole being want to be in for that day. You know, is what's what's my body telling me? Where what what rate of exercise? What kind of exercise? At what pace am I able to hear my body's signals most clearly? You know, I'm able to feel that intuition, that intuitive inner calm feeling that's telling me what I should do. And um, so I find I find out as a runner that was just kind of my mechanism running for for exploring this that uh, my body was telling me very 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 reliably what I could do, especially if I took pains to take in, to stay in that harmony zone all the time where my body was feeling what I was feeling that kind of harmonious feeling in my heart, and the way it would happen would uh, I'd start a run for example. And after the warm-up, maybe I'd, I'd try to speed up to see what my body could do. And if I sped up and my body, my heart still felt harmonious, my body felt harmonious, and it felt like kind of I was falling into a higher pace, then I knew that I was doing the right thing for today, and I was still in the harmony zone. But if I was on a, 
I've had runs that I remember very vividly <laughs> where, you know, I set out to run 20 miles or 18 miles <laughs> or something. And about halfway through, I'm way the hell out in the, in the, in the boondock somewhere. And I'm feeling really, 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 really crappy. <laughs> you know, and my body is telling me at that point, you know, it's been good up to that point. But unfortunately, I'm way the heck out there somewhere, and it's telling me to stop. But what happens is that my heart is feeling really crappy at that point. But I've had these runs where if I drop the pace down to a general jog, for example, all of a sudden my heart felt wonderful. And it felt wonderful because my body was telling me I was doing the right thing, and it was telling me thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, so it, our heart, our whole system, you know, it's just one wonderful, you know, big system composed of body, heart, will, mind, and soul, and they're all locked together. Uh, you know, they're all smoothly integrated. It's, it's just kind of marvelous how it all works. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. So let let me flip it around now a little bit. And okay, so I mean, you've totally sold me on the awesomeness of this. There's no question, right? But would would people be listening to this and wondering, is there a place for discomfort? Uh, you know, in order to increase our fitness level or our, our performance, our technical skills, whatever, is there ever a place for pushing into a zone of Discomfort. Is there such thing as a productive discomfort? My feeling is that yes, absolutely, there is. Uh, you know, there are different, but I think it's kind of um, important to think about the idea that there might be different levels of discomfort. <laughs> you know, um, there's a level where you go to the gym and you know, exercise is all about is if we want to improve in exercise or we even want to stay stay even and maintain a certain level of fitness, um, we're going to have to do something that do something that I think of as kind of playing with our edges. I got that term from uh, an old fitness buddy from many years ago, but um, we're always kind of working at the edges. Uh, we're uh, exercise works as you know, and you probably tell your students that um, exercise is a case of um, uh, fitness and progress is a, case, is a matter of um, pushing the body and then letting it rest. And improvement happens when we rest. And what we want to do is we want to get the most improvement for our exercise buck. And what I think everybody finds sooner or later is that um, my will is can be really strong, and I can push my body to do absolutely ridiculous, really stupid things, <laughs> you know, that will tear me, that will actually set me back and tear me down because my body will take a long time to recover from those extremes of exercise. On the other hand, there are times when my body absolutely wants to just go like hell. You know, uh, I'm 73 now, and, and um, up until, you know, this butt pain attacked me a while ago, I was able to still, you know, do my runs and so forth. And I would deliberately try to make sure that I was completely recovered before I ran because I found that my body really, really, really loved to run hard or at least to run hard for part 
of the exercise session, for example, I might bike up to Stanford just because it's a place where, you know, there aren't a lot of cars around and it's beautiful and a lot of trees and it's interesting, you know, museums and artwork and stuff on the grounds. So I jog around for a while and then I always look forward to coming back to the women, to the softball stadium because, um, there's this huge long ramp. It's probably about 175, 200 meters and so forth. And I absolutely loved, my body loved to just go tear assing up that ramp at top speed because I knew, I knew if my heart was telling me it was a good thing to do, my heart was enthusiastic about it. You know, and that was the key. You know, if my heart was thinking, you know, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to make myself do it, then that was kind of a no. Forget about it. Just get on the bike and ride home. But if my heart was saying, yeah, you know, this looks like fun, then, um, yeah, well, go ahead and do it. And I always found that I got really, really good exercise gains from that. Of course, I would have to take some time off afterwards because, you know, we all recover at a different rate. If you're 20 years old, your body is going to recover much more quickly. And even among 20-year-olds, you know, different bodies are going to recover at different rates and so forth. So that's kind of a given. You have to let your body recover. But yes, to answer your question, as far as I'm concerned, um, pushing it into even the pain zone is uh, part of the exercise experience that is both can be both both very joyful and can be uh, very productive too. I think of track sessions, you know, of uh, interval sessions on the track. Um, you know, the first everybody knows that the first few intervals are hard; they feel tough. But after a while, they become easy and they become very expansive and joyful. You know, given that your body's rested, you're doing fast quarters or so forth, and then the first first three feel kind of hard. The fourth one feels pretty good. Sort of, you're trying, you feel like you're kind of breaking away from that pain, and then um, later on it gets even better. But um, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. But that that's kind of basically where I fit in the idea of of um, extra effort, and it kind of prevents it kind of prevents this whole um, training by feeling based training thing from. Uh, becoming in people's imaginations kind of a wimpy sort of, you know, I'm, oh, I'm just going along doing what my body feels like all the time. You know, and it feels like crashing on the, on the couch and with a Pepsi and watching TV, you know, <laughs> you know, because there is kind of a, it's, it's not meant to be sort of a, a lazy contracting sort of thing at all. And it takes some, it takes some, some dynamite sometimes to blow out the carbs. <laughs> well, yeah. and you and you talk about this too in the book, right? The importance of calibrating your own intuition, especially in the early stages when you may not be as sensitive to the cues or know exactly what your body does want. And so uh, you, you do describe this really nicely, the sort of checking yourself in a way with other more external measures. Um, okay, let me just ask my last question because uh, we've, we've chatted for almost an hour, which I think is... Uh, quite tremendous and and you've lost me in what you're saying in a way like in a good way like i i i have entered the harmony zone just <laughs> just listening to you although part <laughs> of me wants to go outside on a nice sunny day and get running now but so, i mean people listening to this i'm guessing will uh like the concepts and at the same time wonder perhaps more practically how can i just get better at running or or doing my sport but you know since running is kind of the focus here how could i become a better runner and in in the book you talk about how to increase your mileage enjoyably 
Mm -hmm. So perhaps you could finish off by just kind of giving some practical suggestions. Like if I'm a runner and I, and I want to get better and run longer, like how do I actually do that? Yeah. You know, um, the point I made in that chapter in the book is that um, some people think that, um, I mean, among runners at least, uh, many, many people think that the way to increase your mileage is to go slowly. But if you find that you're kind of slogging and slogging and slogging and it's becoming very boring because you're going slowing all the time, well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's not the way to increase your mileage enjoyably. The way to increase your mileage enjoyably is to run at a pretty darn good pace and um, that you can sustain for a fair distance and then uh, increase that quality of mileage uh, and not not worry about going slow all the time, you know. But um, so that's kind of where that chapter came from. But I have to say, for people who are just starting out and who may not have be calibrated, there's something to re there's an idea in our culture that's kind of it's one of those ideas to really watch out for because <laughs> um, it won't do you any good. And that's the idea that every single exercise session has to be perfect or else I'm a bad person. You know, it's the idea that unless I do the right thing at the gym, you know, I'm not, I'm being, I'm being naughty, <laughs> and I'm making a mistake, and, and I'm failing, or so, so forth. But people have to realize that um, you know, a tremendous number of variables are involved here, and you can't, you know, a human being is a very complex kind of amorphous sort of thing and you cannot force a human being into a system you have to make the system adapt to the needs of the human being because that's what matters the system doesn't matter at all it's there to help you it's not there to dominate you you know so number one it's okay to make mistakes it's tremendously important to uh kind of give yourself the freedom to make mistakes and then laugh at them, you know, kind of dismiss them happily. Okay, I made a mistake. It's never, with exercise, it's never fatal. I made a mistake. I went too far or I exercised too hard. Fine. Okay, that gives me the license to learn from my experience and learning is always, always a good, joyful thing. I'll to try to focus on what I did, you know, not not worry about it, not assign any guilt labels to it. But just carry on. You know, um, if you read Pete Sampras's autobiography, um, uh, Pete Sampras was probably the greatest tennis player that's ever lived. He was just an amazing guy. And he learned something from his coaches and sports psychologists that I think it's very important for everybody who's involved with exercise to understand, which is that when he would make a mistake, you could see this watching him on television. He would do this all the time. He would make a mistake, he would lose a point, he would uh, miss a shot, you know, he would make a, do something really dumb. What would he do? He would not stand there with his head down, kicking himself or pounding himself in the thigh with his fist or like he was angry at himself. He would turn away immediately, away from the other player, away from the court, recompose himself and turn back to the court as if it was a brand new meet, it was a brand new match. He was. Just, you could see him do this over and over and over again. So people have to. Um, you are going to mis make mistakes in your exercise program. It's in inevitable. 
and um, you have to try to not make too too many really big mistakes. You know, where you injure yourself or you get um, really seriously overtrained, which is, I mean, those are health hazards. That's that's something really serious, and that's not part of exercise and fitness. That's just uh, human stupidity going too far. <laughs> and I've done it many times myself and learned for it from it, but. Um, while you're while you're learning to hear your body's signals, you have to kind of make your body do stuff and see what it says. You know, it's uh, and you'll get you'll kind of, your sense for what your body is telling you as you have get get more and more experience. Your your intuition will become clearer, and you'll be kind of understand your body better, and you'll become sharper about it. Until you reach that point, you know, just not, try not to do anything completely insane, but do challenge yourself. So, uh, but challenge yourself in a way that's kind and mild and enjoyable, and gradual and stepwise. And that uh, you have fun with and um, can accept. So uh, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that was fantastic, and that's wonderful advice. I I feel sometimes that fitness can be such a youth-oriented industry, right? Like uh, we have trainers who might be in their early twenties advising folks who are older, and it's such a treat to hear from someone who's been in the exercise game for a longer time and can really from a place of authority and wisdom and experience say do it this way or think about things this way because you've done it like you've been there you've done it you've tried it you've experimented and it's really just a wonderful kind of perspective to get Um, As I've aged, I'm 41 now, as I've aged, I've definitely gained so many more insights about what training means and making mistakes, as you say, and and the value of systems or not. And so it's wonderful for me to hear it from someone who's been in the game so many more decades. It's it's fantastic. And I really thank you for that perspective. Yeah. You know, when I was a young runner, when I was 26, um, there were a lot of old guys around, and I noticed that the old guys knew what they were doing. You know, they didn't make mistakes, and they seemed sort of more even, even-minded and accepting and cheerful and consistent, and I always wondered what they had. <laughs> and now you but, know. <laughs> yeah, now we know, Krista. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, if we can just pass on some some helpful ideas to young people that uh, I think it'll give us a lot of satisfaction too as you're as I'm sure you are experiencing with all your clients too I was just uh, cruising your website this morning and I found it very very inspiring and very very interesting especially the reader comments you know and uh, it was just really very rich and rewarding about how you're helping people so yeah it was a good experience Great. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time and and sharing again your wisdom and your experience and your insight. This is wonderful stuff, and I'm sure we'll speak to both beginners and more experienced people alike. Yeah, thank you. It's been a delight. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.